Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. Over the years, many of the world's most celebrated actors have chosen to make Connecticut their home or summer home, but the greatest of them all was Connecticut born and raised and lived much of her life in Old Saybrook. I'm talking about four-time Oscar-winning and 12 times Oscar-nominated Katharine Hepburn, whose lifelong connection to Old Saybrook is celebrated today at that shoreline town's Katharine Hepburn Cultural Arts Center, lovingly called the Kate. Now, most Connecticans know about the Kate because it's become one of the most exciting performance venues in the region. But what many may not know is that the Kate is also home to one of Connecticut's newest, most engaging, and fascinating museums, all about, you guessed it, Katherine Hepburn. Join me as I visit the Kate and talk with Executive Director Brett Elliott and Director of Development and Community Relations Robin Andrioli about this must-see museum in a must-visit town. Coming up right now on Grading the Nutmeg. It's a beautiful day on Long Island Sound. I am in Old Saybrook, and I'm at one of the must-see Connecticut museums, and it's one that may surprise a lot of people. It is the Catherine Hepburn Museum in the Kate at Old Saybrook. A lot of you know the Kate, but what you may not know if you haven't been here recently is that it's got one of the most amazing exhibits on America's premier actor, and I can back that up with Oscars, Katherine Hepburn. With me are Brett Elliott, who, Brett, you are the... I, I am the executive director, yes. And Robin Andrioli, who is... Director of Development and Community Relations. So, this venue has, in a very short time, become one of the go-to venues along Long Island Sound. Brett, tell us about the Kate. How in the world did you make it so important and so popular in what seems like such a short time? Well, uh, well, that's that's a big question, sure. So, the Kate is a 12-year-old performance arts venue, although now also a very dedicated museum as well. And in those 12 years, it's really been about the quality and the quantity of programming that we've brought here. Um, We've done some 2,000 shows on our stage since we opened in all sorts of genres of music, in theater, in comedy, and we simulcast the Metropolitan Opera, and uh, we bring in National Theater from London on the big screen as well. Um, So many different things, and um, it's just really grown. We've you know, our theater seats only under 300 people, but in the year before the pandemic, we saw 45,000 patrons come to the Kate to take in a show here. And uh, it's also a really wonderful town to be in, great restaurants, um, rich history, and uh, it's a great place to come and see a show. You know, as a state historian, I am assigned by the legislature to be a member of the State Historic Preservation Council. And I remember back, it what was it, 2005? I I can't remember the year, but it was a while back when somebody came in with a grant proposal, and the idea was to convert the Old Saybrook Town Hall into a performance venue. And 
the grant, they were asking a lot of money to do this. And I know, you know, we, we, we sat around the table and we said, wow, this is a town hall, a performance. But well, it was such a good idea that people had to fund it. But I don't think anyone at the time could imagine just how good that idea would be. Brett, tell me how you became involved with the Kate. How do you go about attracting the acts you do here? Because you really come up with some stellar acts for this venue. Yeah, well, I, uh, I previously worked at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center here in Connecticut and then spent a couple of years in grad school and, and came back and uh, was really fortunate to eventually be able to lead the Kate. And uh, I've now been here for seven and a half years. And in terms of the programming that we brought in, certainly we started small under the founding executive director. There wasn't a lot of money to work with, and it was an unknown organization. But slowly but surely, we brought in really quality acts, really great acts, and uh, it kept growing and growing. And, and, and certainly uh, things that play, you know, the arenas are not going to play the 300 seats at the Cape, but we've brought in really, really stellar entertainment. And, you know, Graham Nash has been here and Judy Collins has been here and, and so many wonderful artists um, over, over a lot of years. And many shows, the you know, 275 events a year prior to the pandemic. So there's always something happening. It must keep you busy all the time. It does keep us very busy, and we're not the largest staff, but uh, we're really proud of what we've created. So One of the most interesting things about this venue is its name, The Kate. For people who maybe are a generation or two younger than I am who may wonder, what, why are they calling it The Kate? How did, whose idea was it to call this The Kate, and what's that all about? Well, the venue's name is actually the Katherine Hepburn Cultural Arts Center, and affectionately known as the Kate. And the reason that it is named for Katherine Hepburn is because she was a resident of Old Saybrook, and she's probably the most well-known resident of Old Saybrook. So when the town and the community got together to refurbish this building, which actually had its origins as a theater, um, they decided to name the theater in her honor and spoke with her family and was given permission to do that. Tell us about Hepburn's connection with Old Saybrook. Why was this place so important to her? Well, she was born in Hartford. Her family raised her here in Hartford. She had five siblings, a pretty large family. Her father was a physician and worked at Hartford Hospital. He actually was chief urologist there. Her mother was not just a stay-at-home mother. She was very active in the women's suffrage movement. But they followed many Hartford families and got a cottage on the beach here in Old Saybrook in the borough of Fenwick. So she would summer in Fenwick and she grew to love it. I think probably uh, at the age of five is when the family you know, moved here or had their summer home here. Um, and it became her place of refuge and respite as her career started to grow. She always wanted to come back to Fenwick and be with her family in the summer. This is where the family was at their happiest, am I right? I would agree with you, yeah, absolutely, because they, you know, her parents were free thinkers, they were very progressive, they wanted the children to try things and do things, um, they were all athletic, actually, and so they could be at their best when they were here, and they had time to spend as a family, and be engaged in thoughtful conversation and debate, and spend time playing tennis and golfing and swimming, and so, yeah, I would agree. So how do you think her mother's activism and her father's kind of progressive spirit shaped Katherine Hepburn? 
I think she was never afraid to try something, and I don't think she was ever afraid to speak her voice. And what you find, and it's not well known, is that as she's moving through her career, she's influencing not only the roles that she would play, but she's influencing the project as a whole. She had a hand in often picking her co-stars, especially her leading men. She's never given, given a producer's credit in any of the movies, but she's back there working alongside the men in the studio system and in the industry to shape the projects. And I think she had the courage to do that because her parents said, try it. Always go out there and try it. Tell us about it later. Just be careful. How does a young lady from Saybrook become the person who wins the most Oscars of any American actor? How do they get their start? Well, she still holds the record for Best Leading Actress with four wins, although she had 12 nominations. I do believe she's been outpaced in that uh, realm. And, you know, for her, she would say it was just luck. I was the right person at the right time. She was not a blonde bombshell, Hollywood kind of persona. She had red hair. She was tall and lean. She was athletic. But I think that she was so careful in selecting what she did and in the characters that she would portray. But she was guiding her own destiny before she even knew it because she wanted to be sure that there was substance behind what she did and that she was taken seriously in her work. And she also always stayed very flexible. So she would go back and do theater, and then she would do a movie. And she would always talk about going back to the stage and making sure that it appeared that she could do anything. And eventually she does television too. She did plays in New York. She did films in California. She did films in many countries. Did she keep her sense of being a New Englander, did she become a Californian? What, you know, where, where was her identity? Well, I think she was always a New Englander, for sure. Uh, that, that sensible ideology, and uh, she was a little on the thrifty side as well, even for somebody uh, of the stature, uh, financially, of, of a movie star. Um, she was always wanting to come home here, and I think she never lost those roots. There are a couple of Connecticut stories that I know because of my connection with Connecticut history. One of them has to do with the hurricane of 1938, which was the great disastrous hurricane in Connecticut history, certainly uh, the most memorable and the worst. And she was at her home in Old Saybrook, or in Fenwick, right, when the hurricane hit. Tell us about that. She was. Uh, she was on, you know, hiatus, kind of in between projects. It's coming at a time when she's identified as box office poison, had a string of movies that did not do well in the theaters. So she's home visiting with mom, and a friend is over. I think their housekeeper and her brother was with her. And at a time when there were no weather forecasts to tell you what was going to happen, um, it was a regular day for her. She went swimming. She played golf. She actually golfed and got a hole-in-one that day. And then before you know it, the winds pick up. And uh, they escaped the house, and they all had to go to higher ground. And her home was literally lifted off the foundation and sailed off into the water. It just was completely, completely gone. destroyed. But one of the most striking artifacts in these exhibits of incredibly engaging Hepburn artifacts is made of cast iron. And it's from that... <laughs> It's from that hurricane. It's from that day, isn't it? It's, it's one of the few things that was left of the house. While the house sailed off into the ocean, one of the bathtubs was left behind uh, on the shore. And uh, that bathtub has stayed in Saybrook all of these years and now has made its way behind glass into this museum. But it's unique to see Kate 
sitting across that bathtub after the hurricane in the runes, and, and to have it there is really, really kind of special. I have uh, at various times done a lot with the hurricane of 1938, but seeing that bathtub really made that connection pretty vivid in ways that other exhibits have not. So let's talk about the museum. When the Cape opened, it didn't have the Catherine Hepburn Museum, did it? It did have a, a small space that they called uh, the museum. I don't even know if they called it the Catherine Hepburn Museum at the moment, although that's what it was. But it was um, just a two-room space, a lot of photos, um, and it, we did have a few of her awards in one display case. And for the first 10 years that the Kate was here, it remained relatively unchanged. It was sort of frozen in time, and if you had been to a show, you had seen those two rooms, and uh, yeah, it was just frozen in time. But we made a new commitment to it. I was just blown away walking through this exhibit. It's, it's gorgeous. I mean, it, not only is it engaging, everywhere you look, there's just something that grabs your attention and holds it. How did you get all of the material that you've been able to display here, and how did you curate it? How did you decide to organize the museum the way you did? Robin, uh, I, I don't know. This, is, this is your baby, right? You, well, it's a joint baby. There you go. <laughs> Well, you have a beautiful child. I think you both can be very proud parents. Well, okay, I can start that. I'm gonna, I'll pass it yes. over to Robin. So um, we have been fortunate that over the years that the Kate has been open, there have been things that have been gifted to us. And after verifying things, our collections have grown over the years, but we never had the space to really display them properly um, in, in the tiny space that we had. And so... Um, when the pandemic hit, well, it was really the worst of times. It allowed us to step back and say, what things can we accomplish while we're closed? And so... Right. So our, our first step was to get a grant from the Connecticut Humanities, which allowed us to produce a virtual exhibit, which streams on our YouTube channel. And the motivation, the inspiration for that came from a gift given to us by her family, her great niece, Skylar Grant, was getting ready to sell the Grant home in Fenwick and asked us if we were interested in boxes of materials. She wasn't really sure what was in the boxes. We were welcome to them. We went and picked them up. This is right before the pandemic and discovered very shortly that it was filled with, uh, the boxes were filled with letters and photos, family photos, Catherine Hepburn's very first equity contract from uh, the theater. And reading the letters was another eye-opening experience. They were to her mother, to her sisters, being exchanged among family members, all talking about the beginning of her career and roles that she was considering taking or not taking even. She went back and forth on Little Women over four or five letters with her mother debating whether or not to take the role of Joe, and thank goodness that she did. One of the, one of the things that comes through so powerfully in the letters, and the letters are, they're, they're, are remarkable, is... How close this family was? They were very close. They were not perfect. No family is perfect. They were a bit quirky, but they were really close. And the important thing is that she looked up to her parents. They were absolutely her idols. She did not idolize other actors or actresses. It was mother and father. And in every letter that we have, she talks about her endless love and devotion. She's so lucky to have them as her parents. No one else in the world has parents like this, and she can't understand how children ever fight with their parents or 
aren't proud of their home uh, life, and she just is. So do you do you get the sense reading those that she's kind of playing to the house, you know, the, or do you think that's really That's really genuine? real. It's genuine. Yeah. She repeats it over and over in her autobiography, in the very well-known interview she did on television with Dick Cavett. It's about her roots and how the way she was raised made her the person that she was. And she, you said she relied on her parents for a lot of the decisions she made about roles and acting, and I guess she relied on her father for financial management, is that? Yeah, she would send money home to her father, and he would take care of all of that for her, and she certainly didn't squander any of the funds that she earned, um, and I think that's why she was able to help rebuild the home in Fenwick when it was destroyed in the hurricane. She was a very frugal person. We've seen many outfits that look the same, beige, black, and a red sweater. She was not, yeah, she was not a, a big um, Hollywood-type person. You have a, a really wonderful representation of Hepburn clothing here, either clothing she wore in rolls or her own, her own outfits. Tell us about the clothes and how you got them and how... The way you've displayed them is very nice. Yeah, so the way we got some of those is a little bit unique because the Kate opened after Catherine Hepburn passed. And so the estate had already held the Sotheby's auction, so many things were dispersed around the country, and they had gifted her collection of clothing in most of her contracts. She got to keep her costumes, um, and those were gifted to Kent State University. They have the traveling exhibit, Catherine Hepburn Dress for Stage and Screen, and, and her Oscars were given uh, by the estate to the National Portrait Gallery Smithsonian. Uh, and so we have actually acquired some of the things that we have from Kent State, uh, um, partially through auction, partially through conversation there. Um, and uh, so we have a bit of a representation of uh, her clothing here and some costumes. And some of those have come from other ways as well, um, other auctions um, and other collectors who have worked with us um, and we're excited to continue sort of growing that and working with private collectors to be able to represent other movies and other time periods as well. Just to give people an idea for the, for the breadth and the excitement of this collection, how about if I ask each of you to tell me what your three favorite artifacts from the collection are? Who wants to go first? I, I, I can go first. Okay, so... Um, I think, so there is, is one dress that is on display from the Sea of Grass, and it was a particular challenge while putting together the exhibit because it is a 22 and a half inch waist to find the correct mannequin for it. And so um, while we designed this entire space, it came down to even finding the correct mannequins to display things. So I'm, I'm partial to, to that. Um, I think the bathtub was fun because I had to go and pick it up uh, and, uh, and clean it up, and it tells a really interesting story. And then I, we should mention, well, the museum is focused on Catherine Hepburn. It has a little bit of building history and our way in which we continue to keep Catherine Hepburn's legacy relevant. And part of that is through the Spirit of Catherine Hepburn Award. And we do have uh, one of the awards on display with clips from several significant um, artists who have received the award, Glenn Close, Dick Cavett, uh, Cher, Christine Baranski, Sam Waterston, Ann Nyberg, um, talking about Katherine Hepburn's impact in their lives or how her career path affected theirs. And to me, that's really important and relevant because it brings Kate to today. And Robin, how about you? I absolutely love our note to Santa in the boxes from the Grant family. There was an envelope that was about two inches by two inches it was still sealed when we received it, and it had a little stamp on the top of it 
with Santa, his sack over his shoulder, and it says votes for women. And Brett said, we need to open this. And he carefully opened up the envelope, and inside was a little note tucked in, and it's Dear Santa from Catherine Houghton Hepburn. And she asks for three things very specifically. She would like uh, clothing for her doll. She would like a wristwatch and a three-railed electric train and some batteries. And for me, that is everything you need to know about Kate <laughs> at five years old. Yeah. Fashion, practicality, and I can do anything boys can do. Right? There you so, go. Um, I love that. And actually, I also love the, and it's not even one of her awards, but we have the plaque of her uh, nomination certificate for Best Actress for African Queen, which she did not win that year, but the nomination was embossed on a plaque and it was gifted to us. And I just love having that there because that's one of her absolute best movies. And the other thing might sound really mundane, but we have a playbill from one of her productions at what is now the Ivoryton Playhouse. And not only do they spell her first name wrong, because it is K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, they spell her first name wrong, in the playbill, but there's a page that has advertisements from local businesses on it, and it's many of the local businesses that are still here in this community today, and I just love seeing that she was really a part of this community. Those local businesses were a part of this community, and she, until you know, she retired here, was just, just wanted to be a regular citizen when she was in Old Saybrook. She talked about a summer she spent at the Ivoryton Playhouse as being really formative for her career, right? Absolutely, yeah. They would let her take lead roles when other actresses weren't available. That was big. Can, can we do an honorable mention item as well? Certainly. Okay, so uh, we, as, as theater folks who did, did, that developed this space, we wanted to, we were really heavy into the storytelling, right? It, it maybe isn't your typical museum. Um, it was a little bit thought of different. And there are TV screens all over the museum. And we've been able to share home movies um, from the Hepburns, whether they're ice skating in Hartford in the 40s, is it? Um, um, or earlier, footage, or, or even earlier, or footage from after the hurricane of 38 of them walking around Fenwick, um, or clips of her career. We really tried to animate the space so people could see Kate and hear Kate, um, and we could share that story not just through objects and text. For me, that's the very best part of this museum, is because you could go anywhere and learn about Katherine Hepburn, the famous actor, but what you get the sense here is of uh, Catherine Hepburn as a person, and it comes through in such a wonderful way. I will think about her differently because of what I have learned and what I've seen coming here. She was an icon for me. Now she's a human icon, and that's a, that's a big, big deal. For historians like me, especially a Connecticut historian, you know, Catherine Hepburn almost pales a bit compared to her brother-in-law, Ellsworth Grant, who was married to her sister, Marion. Now, I don't expect anyone listening to this except me and maybe a few other history geeks to, to remember this, but Ellsworth Grant was the president of the Connecticut Historical Society. He and his wife, Marion, wrote wonderful books about Connecticut history. There is a, there is a history of Hartford that Marion had put together and right before she died. And, and you know, the writing in it is beautiful and it's from her and you, you get a sense that this family placed a real premium on words. But there is a connection between Ellsworth Grant and the Connecticut River and Catherine Hepburn 
and in 1965, the Connecticut River was terribly polluted. And Ellsworth Grant got the idea of doing a documentary to wake people up to the problems along the river. And he just went up and down the river and showed all these places where pollution was ruining the water quality. And he got his sister-in-law to narrate it. And one of the galvanizing moments in American environmental history is when Katherine Hepburn, in that magnificent voice and that kind of accent of hers, called the Connecticut River the most beautiful cesspool in America. <laughs> you know, if there's one sentence that awakened people, it, it kind of did in Connecticut what Silent Spring did for the rest mm -hmm. of the country. And it led to the country's first Clean Water Act that was passed in Connecticut and to all of the cleanup that's happened along the river since that time. This is the power of what one family can do when they're really motivated. And Katherine Hepburn continued to support the environment and the area around here, didn't she? She did. You know, and I think she had such an appreciation for the environment and for open space because she enjoyed being outside. And the family spent a lot of time outside climbing trees and swimming and golfing. But we have in our collection a poem that she wrote in 1989. It was to support a referendum in town to preserve open space by the water. And she shared this poem and eventually gifted it to a local family here. And Martha Soper's family then gave it to us. And it was actually published in the newspaper. And it was one of the few times she really publicly advocated for a cause. And that referendum passed and they preserved the open space. So I'm in love with the museum and I will be back not just to see the shows, but to come. I'm going to bring people to come see. You'll just be amazed at what's here. But how do people come to the museum? Do they, do they need to come to a show? Can they come anytime? How's it work? Yeah, they can come anytime that the lobby is open or during a show. So uh, Tuesday through Friday, 10 to 4, the box office is open and the museum is open. It is free of charge, although donations are accepted and we're, we're working under some new business models to, to make this uh, an equal part of our programming here at the Cape moving forward. Um, and we're working towards uh, some, some additional times that it'll be open on weekends and things. So check our website because there's more coming. Now, is your plan to expand the museum, leave it as it is? Are these permanent exhibits? Are they going to rotate? What, what's the plan? Well, yeah. So there is a real plan to continue telling Kate's story in new and exciting ways. So there are certainly exhibits and pieces that are part of the permanent collection that will likely most always be on display. Um, there are costumes uh, from movies that will change out for preservation purposes every so many months. But the, some of the cases were also designed to be able to be uh, cleared out and have rotating exhibits come in. So over the last several years and this process, we've been introduced to several private collectors um, and, and other organizations that have significant Catherine Hepburn items. And so as we think about the stories we want to tell, whether it be certain movies or certain periods of time, um, we're kind of connecting the dots to be able to bring those things in. We, we know where her wedding dress was from several years ago and um, other costumes. And, and actually one of her desk set costumes is on display at Planet Hollywood Paris. And we've been in touch with their curator and, and you know, thinking of all the different things that we can bring in over the years to keep this space fresh and exciting so that as people come back, there's new things to see and new things to learn. I had no idea Katherine Hepburn actually was married. I knew about Spencer Tracy, but and I knew about Howard Hughes, but I didn't know she actually had a husband. 
She was married to Ludlow Ogden Smith, and he was someone that she met when she was still in college at Bryn Mawr. Uh, he originally was from Pennsylvania. Eventually, he moves to the East Coast when they get married, and they decide that she's going to be a nice, you know, stay-at-home housewife, and they'll go back to Pennsylvania. And he had a company. He was an inventor. He was an entrepreneur. He did many things, and so he was already quite successful. And she thought, I'll stand by him, and, you know, he'll be the success story. And they get there, and she realizes, nope, it's not going to work. Let's go back to New York. I want to pursue acting. And he supports her through all of this. And if it weren't for him, and she's the first to say this in her autobiography, she would not have had a career because he really helped her get to where she needed to be and uh, supported her not only financially but, um, you know, as a husband. And unfortunately, the marriage only lasted four years, but they remained friends. I mean, she enters into a relationship with Howard Hughes. Mm -hmm. And you have, and there is footage, the family footage, right, in the exhibit where she is playing golf with Howard Hughes at the house in Fenwick. And the, the images, the, the guy behind the camera is her first husband, right? That's right. Yes, the family absolutely loved him. And so he remained very close with the Hepburns even after their divorce. And it was understood by Howard Hughes. Dr. Hepburn told him, you know, if you pursue this relationship with my daughter, you need to know Luddy's always going to be a part of our family. And of course, she doesn't end up ha uh, marrying Howard. But she was friends with Ludlow until uh, his passing. She was uh, friends with his children. And his son, we're very lucky, his son Lewis, who still lives in Connecticut, lent to us a joint passport of Catherine and Ludlow that is a part of our exhibit along with a portrait of his father. The fact that they could pull off this kind of long-term sustained relationship, I think, speaks to, speaks to both of them. It's a very good thing. Yeah. So. Really nice. Just the letters that you see on the wall make me think about what a treasure trove that would be for people who wanted to do research on Catherine Hepburn. I'm sure what I see on the exhibit walls is just a fraction of what you have. Do you have more? And if I wanted to do research on the Hepburn family, could I come here and do it? How would that work? We definitely have more. We had several dozen letters, not just written by Catherine, but to Catherine, you know, responses from her parents and siblings. And then we have many more letters written by her mother and her sister Marion in particular that we've yet to go through and to actually archive correctly. Um, at the moment, they're not available to the public. We have to be very careful about sharing her words. Although we own the letters, the estate still has the copyright on her words. But at some point, yes, we would like to make them at least digitally available so that you could come to our website and look up some volumes of letters. Um, we'd like to be a repository for all things Catherine Hepburn. So if we don't have it, we can at least direct you to where things might be. But eventually, we'd like to have some of those things available. Well, and, and you know, beyond the Catherine Hepburn herself, for Connecticut history, anything connected with Marion or her husband Ellsworth in relation to the family would be, you know, that there may be things that you wouldn't think of if you're reading, you know, I see this all the time. I'll go read a manuscript looking for one thing, come back six months later, read it looking for something else, and find that the same words on the page have taken on a completely new meaning. And I think with this wonderful cache of letters, you, uh, you may be surprised at how historically valuable it is 
to people you wouldn't normally think of, you know, as being this being important to them. I, I want to point out, you're absolutely right, because I've had to read and transcribe all the letters from Kate. There's a letter where she's writing to her mother, and she's talking about what a shame about Amelia Earhart. Right now, she's in a movie years earlier, Christopher Strong, where she plays a female pilot, and she models her character after Amelia Earhart, and she followed her career. Eventually, she was taught to fly by Howard Hughes, Catherine. Um, but here she is talking about real-world things, you know, with her mother. It's not just about me, me, me. So I thought that was one of my favorite Yeah, <laughs> no, and, and those are the kinds, of, you know, those are those little sparklies that jump out of letters in unintended places. Certainly one of our aspirations are to be able to share more of this. And, and virtually, because we, through our gala honoring share, which was virtual during the pandemic, we have connected with folks who care about Catherine Hepburn all over the world, who knew that there was a huge contingent of them in Brazil. But so we continue to look for ways to share the museum and the virtual exhibit and our collections with those folks. And so uh, developing more information on our website where we can connect you with New York Public Library, where they have a, an archive of Catherine Hepburn items, and Kent State and all these other um, other collections is really important to us, and we hope to be able to present that in the future. Robin, somewhere out there, there's the one artifact or the 10 artifacts that you would most like to snag for the collection. What, what would you like to have here that you don't have now? Her Oscars. <laughs> well, we do know where those are. That might be tough. Anything is possible. That's right, and if you need some help, I can distract someone. <laughs> Brett Elliott, Robin Andrioli, thank you so much for taking me on this wonderful tour of the Catherine Hepburn Museum at the Catherine Hepburn Cultural Center here in Old Saybrook. But you don't have to remember all that. Just ask somebody, how do you get to the Kate? Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for listening. We wish to thank Brett Elliott and Robin Andrioli, the Catherine Hepburn Cultural Center in Old Saybrook, and especially the Catherine Hepburn Museum at the Gate. Find out more about the museum at catherineheppertheater.org. This is Walt Woodward, hoping you'll join us next time for another episode of Grading the Nutmeg. Thank you.